At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So we had a pitching coordinator that actually called me at the end of July um, or it's either at the end of July or midway through July. I think it's midway through July. And he said, hey, um, we, you know, we're calling up this kid. Uh, you know, we just wanted to let you know that your name was in the talk as well. You know, you're doing things right. You're on the right track. Just keep doing what you're doing. And about two weeks later, felt the flexor again and it got tight and it, you know, just didn't feel right. And I kind of thought, oh, no, terrible timing. Welcome into another episode of Baseball Americas from Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today's episode is with Sam Wolf. A right-hander was the sixth-round pick of the Rangers in the 2013 draft as a senior sign out of the University of New Mexico and who just wrapped up his eight-year career in professional baseball. Sam is the first player on the show who hails from South Dakota. We talked about the benefits of hailing from the state's high school ranks and how he turned himself from an athletic guy with a live arm into a polished pitcher over the course of three college stops. We'll also talk about how team camaraderie changes at different levels of the minor leagues and when you should and shouldn't pitch through injury. It was a great episode. I was really happy that Sam could come on, break down his career, and, and talk about the, how, you know, how he made the decision to step into the next phase of his life. Episodes of Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. College baseball postseason is here. Today is the day we got the field of 64. Go check out the team's breakdown of that field, everything else on the site, the main pod feed, great stuff on the other pods, future projection, and the 90th percentile. With that, let's talk to Sam Wolf. All right, joining in for today's episode from Phenom of the Farm, he was a sixth-round pick of the Rangers in the 2013 draft out of the University of New Mexico, right-hander Sam Wolf. Sam, thanks so much for joining for Phenom of the Farm. Oh, of course, Kyle. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this a little, I guess, behind the scenes. Uh, it'll be a little more of a familiar conversation than usual. Sam's older brother, Garrett, was my roommate in college. I, I've known Sam for a while. I've been, um, you know, ever since you decided to to move on to life after baseball. I've been looking forward to this. So it's so ready to jump into it. Uh, Sam, when did you realize you had a future at the next level? Um, you know, honestly, maybe in college, you know, 
I guess I was drafted out of high school. It was late rounds. And I think that kind of opened my eyes to, you know, give me the hope that, Hey, you know, there is a shot after college, you know, if I keep going down the right path, keep doing the right things, you know, that, yeah, there's an opportunity after college for me to, you know, continue playing and go on to that professional level. So you and I were the same graduating class, uh, 2009. So it's kind of on the fringe era of specialization, got to jump into one sport, that whole thing. In South Dakota, you did a bit of everything sports-wise, like growing up in that state. How much baseball did you play on a yearly basis versus all the other stuff you did? Yeah, I mean, you know, with South Dakota's weather, it's kind of, it really is impossible to play year-round, obviously, which... For me, I felt like it was kind of a blessing because I was able to play multiple sports and, you know, not really get burnt out on one or the other. You know, I'd go pretty much from basketball in the winter. You know, I did a little bit of track um, in the spring my senior year and then would go right into baseball in the summertime, you know, then have football in the fall. So it was it was nice to get a variation of different sports and kind of made me feel like I was a little bit better of a well-rounded athlete. Um, You know, it's a double edged sword, though, obviously not playing baseball year round. You know, you always look back and wonder, you know, how much more sharper, how much more polished you could have been, you know, getting the reps on a year, you know, or a consistent basis like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think that, uh, you know, growing up in South Dakota, I probably played baseball, you know, five, probably five months out of the year. Um, we, you know, we'd start spring usually right around April, really wouldn't get outside until late May, um, you know, and then the season would start. And, you know, for our uh, program that we have here in South Dakota, you know, we played a lot of baseball during the summer. I mean, usually, you know, more than a high school season. I mean, we'd get sometimes, you know, 60 to 70 games in in the summer. So we were getting a lot of reps in kind of a shorter period of time, which, you know, I do think kind of got me ready for that next level, you know, the college level and even professionally, just because you are playing that much, you know, you're playing four, sometimes five days a week um, at the professional level. Obviously, you're playing basically every single day. Um, so I do think that I had a little bit of insight, you know, just in the summers here with how much you were playing, you know, on pretty much a daily basis. With that though, South Dakota, not known is, is like a baseball hotbed, not your Texas, California, Florida, one of those. How often did you have to travel maybe outside the state, you know, those perfect game tournaments? Cause that was, that was when that action started kind of picking up to, to reach people in, in a little more in your talent level as you got into high school and started being a guy who was getting recruited, thrown pretty hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think when I was playing here in high school and Legion baseball, you know, we really kind of stayed around the Midwest, you know, Denver, Minneapolis area was kind of our, you know, further ones that we'd go to Omaha, Nebraska. So really we were getting seen regionally. Um, but, you know, if you did want to kind of get out a little bit, you kind of had to do it on your own. And like you said, going to, you know, perfect game showcase um, was kind of one of the big eye openers for me. You know, I had talked to maybe a handful of schools um, for college baseball and, you know, had a couple different um, scholarships and opportunities to go play, you know, in some schools around the Midwest and then went to a perfect game uh, tournament down in Jupiter, Florida. And I think after that tournament, I mean, you know, talked to I think 20 plus schools and it kind of really opened my eyes to just, you know, holy cow, there are a ton of eyes out there, but you got to put yourself out there. And, you know, not many people are going to come up to South Dakota to watch, you know, one, maybe two kids if they're lucky, you know, in a day where they can go to California or Texas or Arizona and see, you know, 15 in one day. I need to talk about that roster that you played on in, in <laughs> Jupiter. I texted you about this earlier. I don't know how up to date these these old perfect game websites are, but the Ohio Warhawks at that in the World Woodbat in Jupiter in 08 has you on there, has Chris Bryant, Mike Clevenger, Corey Hahn, Luke Jackson, 
Jeff Malm, who's an alumni of the show, Stephen Matz, um, Tyler Skaggs. Uh, that, that's a lot of, lot of big league, a lot, lot of money oh, yeah. in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was so, I think, just naive at the time because it was my first, you know, perfect game tournament that I was even going to, you know, outside the Midwest, really. And didn't really realize the caliber of high school players that I was with and, you know, was, like I said, fortunate enough just to be on that team in general and get to go down there. And then, yeah, you know, a little while after you're kind of seeing the players that you were playing with and you're going, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, I was pretty lucky to be on that team. You're just watching the draft be like, oh, that guy, that guy, that guy. So <laughs> yeah. you mentioned you start talking to 20 schools. Again, being from South Dakota, is not really a state school that if you want to play high level baseball, you're heading to. How did you, how did you frame your college decision as far as, because basically almost anywhere you want to go to play high level baseball, it, it's basically a flight. So how did right. you kind of frame and, and start looking at where do I, you know, where do I want to spend my next three, four years? Yeah. I, you know, I think the first, um, I guess hurdle that, that I had to kind of get or figure out um, kind of navigate was, you know, did I want to go as a position player? Or did I want to go as a pitcher? You know, um, obviously coming from South Dakota, I was more so a pitch or a uh, position player, you know, and really didn't transition to uh, pitching until I was in college. Um, and so I think that was kind of one of the first decisions, you know, kind of big decisions that I had to make in my baseball career was really deciding what path did I want to go down, you know, be a position guy or a pitcher. And there were some schools that were, you know, for position opportunity, um, shortstop, third base, second base was kind of where I played. And then there were some that were for uh, pitching. And I think at that point, you know, I kind of had talked to enough scouts, um, you know, just on the college level and professional level to where, you know, I think they kind of hinted towards me that, hey, as far as your upside and like your future and going into professional baseball, you have a great arm. And that's going to, you know, probably be your best avenue. And I think I kind of just decided and agreed with that and said, yeah, you know, I have a, I had a decent arm and, you know, hadn't really been able to, you know, truly dive into the pitching side of baseball and, um, you know, committed to that and went there for, you know, the University of San Diego as a pitcher and, and honestly just fell in love with it. It felt like I was playing a new sport because I had never really known how to pitch up until that point. What was the the pitch from San Diego? Why was that the pick for you as, as far as, you know, your college choice? <laughs> Flying out there in December from South Dakota. <laughs> that, that made no that brainer. The, uh, the, yeah. That was the first thing that made it pretty easy to uh, get on board. Yeah. When you're flying out to San Diego from South Dakota, it's, you know, negative five in South Dakota, you go to San Diego and it's 60 and sunny during the day. And yeah, that was hard to beat. Um, you know, the campus itself was incredible. The, uh, the coaching staff, um, you know, I got to talk to some of the players that were there and, um, you know, I, like I said, I was just kind of really blown away at their track record. They had, you know, draft picks out of there, I think, at the time. Um, oh, man, I'm trying to think. Was it Mattis? Brian, Brian Mattis was one of the big picks out of there. Um, and I think it was only a year or two, you know, be, uh, drafted before I got there. And so I just felt like, you know, that was a good opportunity to get a lot of eyes on me while I was in college, you know, playing on the West Coast, playing the, you know, the uh, schools that they play. Um, like I said, just really felt like it would be a good opportunity for not just my college career, but, you know, the potential of going on to the professional level as well. You mentioned you did get drafted out of high school by the Angels, though. What were those conversations like? Was that was that ever a serious avenue as, as a senior? You know, not not too much. I think it was more of a, uh, you know, we were pleasantly surprised um, that it happened, to be honest. I didn't, you know, I wasn't expecting the professional level out of high school by any stretch of the imagination. I think, you know, I had started filling out some questionnaires and talking to some different professional scouts out of high school and, and wasn't really sure if, you know, how serious the talks were or, 
you know, is this truly a possibility? And then, you know, there's a later round pick and um, I think more than anything, it just gave me a lot of encouragement and, you know, upside of to, Hey, what I could do, but, you know, potentially down the road, you get on campus, how many of your, your college out, because you mentioned you're, you're playing both ways in high school, mm-hmm. um, you know, recently decided to make pitching the focus. How many of when, when you're on the mound in high school, how many ABs went like fastball, 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 or maybe fastball, fastball, <laughs> curveball. If you, if you thought about like how much, how much did you have to learn on the fly when you go from facing a lot of Legion hitters and stuff like that to facing USD hitters in the fall? Oh, big time. Um, you know, and, I, and really it was my summer, um, senior summer or summer after my senior year, I went down to play in uh, a team with a team in Las Vegas and, um, you know, Chris Bryant was on there and, but we played, you know, uh, majority college teams. And so that was really kind of my first glimpse of like, okay, I need, you know, I need to learn how to pitch here. You know, we're playing kind of college caliber um, players and, and um, yeah, it was definitely a difference. I mean, you could tell the adjustment needed to happen quick and, you know, otherwise it was going to be sink or swim. So I definitely think that when I got to college, like I said, it was such a learning experience for me um, just to see the pitching side of things, the analytics, the, I mean, the science behind it really, you know, to where it was something that I had never really learned before. At that point, that, that fall, so fall of 2009, how much, how much analytics was going into it at that point? I know, you know, 10 years later, tech was a big part about how you were training and stuff like that. What was that, that growth over just, over just that fall? How much information did you have to try to cram in there before your first spring? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, overloaded with information really, because it was, you know, not just talking about pitch sequences. It was talking about mechanics and, you know, all these different things that, you know, I had really never thought about. I mean, I, like I said, was had a decent enough arm in high school that I could go out and pitch and got away with it, you know, got away with good results. Um, but then, like you said, you get to the college level. I mean, now you have to start kind of diving into the nuts and bolts of the, of what you're doing. And yeah, I mean, it blew my mind, you know, just within that first couple of weeks, um, you know, what the coach was going over our pitching coach at the time was uh, Tyler Kincaid. And, you know, was just a brainiac in, in my eyes, you know, and really opened my, my mind to just, hey, be as open as you can be and take in all the information. You know, there's really no bad information out there. You got to try everything. And, yeah, it was really mind-blowing. Was there any self-doubt in that first fall? Of, oh, I, might, might, I might not be ready for, for this level. Any, <laughs> any, like, moments, any long bombs or anything like that? Um, it, it was definitely more so when you got into, like, scrimmage games and actually putting it to work, and then you kind of got to see, like, oh, man, I do have some work to go. <laughs> I may not be pitching this year as much as I thought I was going to coming in. <laughs> so what was that expectation, though? You signed with San Diego, your draft pick. Um, you know, you've got this scouts been telling you, you have this big arm. What did you think your innings load was going to look like as a freshman? Yeah. You know, I, I guess that was, I thought kind of going in there that it may, may have an opportunity to be a starting pitcher, you know, didn't really know a whole lot about the college season and how it worked. And, you know, you kind of pretty much had your solidified Friday, Saturday, Sunday guy, midweek guy, sometimes, you know, alternates. Um, and so when I went in there, I kind of didn't really realize you know, on top of that, I mean, we had some studs that were already solidified. I think that year we ended up having 10 guys drafted and it was five pitchers, five position players. So, you know, we had a, a, a great team already. And I just didn't really realize the caliber of players that we had there until I got there. And, um, you know, I think it, it changed pretty quick to understand that, like, OK, I'm, you know, hey, I'm a freshman. I'm going to have some growing, you know, growing pains to go through. And, you know, don't be, um, you know, 
too frustrated with the inning load, you know, more than anything, just, you know, put in the good work that you can with what innings you do get. Yeah. Because baseball college baseball is so weird that if you're not slotted into that weekend or you're not the, I'm the definite backend guy, especially those first few months, like first few weeks of the season, it's kind of figuring out who's going to be the go-to and like guy gets hot early in the season. Like he's coming out of the bullpen every single weekend in some form or fashion. So as, as the season goes on, you're not getting in quite as much as you had hoped when does it turn from like excitement about your first season to frustration or starting to, to look at other options? Yeah, I think, um, you know, probably about midway through that season, I kind of was getting a little frustrated that I wasn't pitching as much as I would have liked to, but you know, at the same time, you know, it was hard to keep in mind that I was a freshman. Right. And Hey, you know, they're trying to get all the freshmen as many innings as they can, you know, for the future, obviously. Um, but like I said, I think I, I did get a little frustrated just because it was hard to, you know, for someone that was really trying to do pitching for the first time and only pitching, you know, I needed the reps. I needed more reps and more time. And, you know, that was the only way that I was truly going to grow as a pitcher. And so I think towards the end of the year was kind of where my mind started to, you know, think about maybe transferring to a junior college or, you know, another school where I was just going to get that, um, you know, that availability to pitch just more often, more frequently, get that many more innings so that I could just work on stuff more than anything. What was the process for that decision? This is pre-transfer portal. So you right. kind of kind of starting from scratch again. So when you when you laid out your options, what were you looking at? Um, you know, I, I guess I didn't really know. Uh, I knew <laughs> I knew going into that summer that it was, you know, like I said, I kind of wanted to make a change and but I didn't want to sit out, a, you know, a full year and just not pitch at all. Um, you know, I think I had seen maybe one or two guys that we had at San Diego that kind of went through that. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a grind during the spring when you have a guy that, you know, can't play, but he's fully healthy, great arm, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, like I said, I kind of had originally set my mind on going to a junior college right out of the gate, just because I I knew I wanted to play. I wanted to get reps. I didn't want to, you know, miss an entire season of playing competitively. So um, I think, like I said, beginning of the summer was, you know, where I just was really focusing on a couple different junior colleges and kind of going back to, um, you know, some of the ones that talked to me out of high school, thinking about where I'd want to go if I'd, you know, give the coaches a call or what to do. Um, luckily, you know, I, I called uh, the coach that I had when I was in Las Vegas um, and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about transferring, you know, do you know of any junior colleges, you know, kind of in that southern, you know, west coast area, you know, because I did like to be out there and kind of got comfortable out there. And that was when College of Southern Nevada was kind of brought to my attention. And Arguably like, right, the most famous junior college baseball team in the country <laughs> that season. I was going to say, and yeah, it happened to be the season before it was, yeah, Bryce Harper. And so obviously they were a big deal. And it was kind of like, yeah, okay, this could be a great opportunity. I'm going to go to a junior college that, you know, just got a ton of recognition um, with having Bryce there and, you know, has a track record of being one of the top junior colleges in the nation. So for me, it was kind of a no brainer of, Hey, if I'm ready to make the switch and go from, you know, division one to a junior college, I mean, why not? It's called of Southern Nevada. <laughs> With that, you, you, you bounce there, you bounce from USD to college of Southern Nevada. Eventually you go to another school, you go to UNM, which we'll talk about. Did you have any transcript issues over, you know, stuff transferring, having it? Cause that's, I think now in right. this era, we think, Oh, guys are just transferring their free agents, whatever. But it, depending on the school, what accepts what it can be, you know, one of the guys I lived with in college had to change his major to history just so he could graduate on time because he had stuff right. not transferred from one school. What was, did you have any difficulty in that process? Um, you know, more than anything, it was just some, uh, credits from, uh, university of San Diego. When I went to college of Southern Nevada had to be, uh, turned into electives, you know, and then kind of the same thing when I went from Southern Nevada to New Mexico, 
you know, some of them had to, that were originally maybe core classes at Southern Nevada or core classes at San Diego ended up becoming electives at university of New Mexico. So, you know, yeah, you, I mean, it was more of just finagling the credits and figuring out, okay, yeah, you know, you're not going to have it as a core class towards, you know, the business school or whatever, but you know, it'll count as your elective. And so if anything, it kind of burns your electives up, you know, a little bit quicker um, to where, you know, my junior year, you're taking a lot more core classes than, you know, having, you know, an easy elective on the side. So you make the move to junior college. What, what are upgrades? What's better in junior college? Obviously it's not a big division one program, but what are things that you point to and we're like this, this part about junior college baseball was better than either San Diego or New Mexico. Um, honestly, it was the, you know, ability to really focus on baseball. Um, you know, we only had two sports at, at the school. It was literally just softball and baseball. So, you know, baseball was taken very seriously, seriously there. Um, we had a great group of coaches that, you know, I think, um, made it a lot of fun, but, you know, guys were there for one reason. It was going to the next level, whether that meant going into, you know, division one or going, you know, trying to get drafted. And so I do think that there was a big emphasis on, Hey, this isn't the stopping point, you know? And I think sometimes in division one, you know, got, you see players that they're, you know, they're just very happy to be there. And I think which is perfectly fine. Um, but sometimes the drive for going on to that next level fizzles a little bit, you know? Um, and I think, like I said, at a junior college, it's kind of that desire to go on to the next level, whether it's division one or professional baseball. By the time you've wrapped that year at Southern Nevada, you've, you've been focused on pitching for two years now. You're, you're, rem- mm-hmm. you're two years removed from high school. What, how different a pitcher were you as far as your stylings, what you did on the bump by the end of that second year of college versus, you know, end of high school, just with a guy with a good arm? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I learned a lot. I mean, leaps and bounds within those first two years. Um, and like I said, I was lucky enough to have some, I, I felt like, you know, great pitching coaches during those two years with that Tyler Kincaid. And then Nick Aiello was our pitching coach at college of Southern Nevada. Um, and, you know, I think just being able to, understand how to harness your stuff. And like I said, I was still in the process of trying to figure out how to locate my fastball better and, you know, actually locate your off speed, not just throw it in there just to throw it in there. Um, it really opened my eyes as far as, you know, Hey, your fastball is not just one pitch. I mean, if you're moving it up and down and, you know, side to side, I mean, it can be used in multiple different aspects. And then same thing with, you know, your off speed understanding sequences and, you know, how it affects a hitter and what, you know, what a hitter's looking for in certain situations and that kind of stuff. I think, just like I said, within those two years, I mean, it was pretty mind blowing how much I felt like I grew. Uh, but at the same time, I know that, you know, in my sophomore year of college, you know, it was still just trying to harness everything and understand, Hey, okay, I know what I'm trying to do now. Now it's a matter of just doing it consistently. You know, like I said, getting those reps to, you know, to be able to be that consistent with it. Can you point to any significant stylings in terms of, of the actual gameplay between junior college and, and division one baseball from, you know, what you hear from guys who went to junior college seems like it's an absolute battleground every game. A lot of, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of scrappiness, stuff like that. Are there, are there legitimate differences? And I, I guess the vibes around the game. Um, you know, I don't know. I guess it, it's been so long now. It's hard to kind of replay and see, you know, if it's that much different than, you know, what um, the division one level was, I felt like, you know, maybe up and down the lineup, you know, at the division one level, you know, you, yeah. The lower part of the lineup is, um, is still going to, you know, be hard to, uh, get through and, you know, not just going to roll over and, and not that junior college is at all. Um, but I just think that the, you know, consistency and caliber of player um, is maybe, you know, the entire lineup as opposed to just your first five hitters, five, you know, six hitters type of thing. Um, and then I would say, you know, the pitching side, just depth, 
you know, I think at the division one level, you're able to have more depth, um, you know, for pitching and, and position guys. Um, but like I said, there's some junior colleges that are just, you know, I mean, you see the same type of talent, if not sometimes better, you know, there, because like I said, some guys want to go that route. They want to only go, you know, for a year and maybe get that recognition to, you know, go on to the professional level. So, I mean, biggest question about your time at Southern Nevada, what do you do in Vegas when you're 20? (laughs) It's not as much fun as you think when you're 20. Yeah, no, it would, uh, it would have been interesting if I was 21 and had been there, but no, being 20, I mean, you know, it's just like being any other college kid. We were out in Henderson. So it was, you know, it's the same thing kind of, you know, you're going to practice every day, you're going to classes, you know, you're coming home, you're, we lived with, you know, other baseball players. Um, so it was pretty, pretty similar to what we would do anywhere else. So you're, you know, you've wrapped that year, you've got to find another school, third school, you know, in three years, <laughs> what, what takes you to Albuquerque? Um, you know, I went on a recruiting trip there and I got to meet the head coach, Ray Birmingham. Um, and ask, what's the uh, first, what's the first impression of Ray Birmingham? Just a great guy. Honestly, I mean, I still have a great relationship with him to this day. Um, just a, he's a straight shooter. And that was one of the things that I think I appreciated the most about him. Um, you know, he didn't try to, you know, sell the place. It was more of a, Hey, come in and you get the feel for it. And you tell us what you think, you know, he didn't have to try to sell it for me. Um, and, you know, getting to talk with some of the players when I was on that recruiting trip, I mean, you know, from seniors all the way down to the the freshmen that were there, all of them had nothing but good things to say about the coaching staff, the university, the baseball program. I mean, all that stuff. And I think there was a lot of, um, you know, excitement that the program was heading in the right direction with Ray Birmingham being the head coach. And so I guess I kind of looked at it as something that I wanted to, you know, jump on the ship with them and be a part of and, you know, push, push the rock in the same direction and try to, you know, get this program uh, to where uh, Coach Birmingham wanted it to be. And those recruiting trips uh, after a year at at Southern Nevada, how much was playing time in a rotation spot discussed? Because at that point now, you're 20, got two years of college left. You don't really have as much time to wait around and kind of earn that rotation spot. No. Yeah. And and I think that was kind of one of the things that coach Birmingham and I um, pitching coach uh, talked about, you know, when I went on my recruiting trip was they said, Hey, we need starting pitching. And, you know, for me, I, I thought, Hey, that's, that's great. Cause I need reps and I want more innings and I want to throw and I want to be, you know, one of those weekend guys. I mean, like I said, when I was at San Diego, I kind of idolized the three weekend starters because they were just kind of, you know, your, your captains as pitchers, you know, you followed them, you wanted to do everything, you know, kind of what they did. And so to be a weekend starter, you know, was definitely one of my, one of my goals coming out of junior college, um, you know, to go on to the division, division one level and be, I mean, I wanted to be in that Friday or Saturday night spot, you know, going game one against their best pitcher as well. And, and so, and I got the chance to do that. Um, when I went to New Mexico, you know, I went there and originally, yeah, I was one of the weekend starters. I think I was maybe our Saturday or Sunday guy to start out the, uh, the year. And, ended up just not throwing very well, you know, got myself in trouble, was throwing too many balls. And like I said, was really, you know, in all honesty, was really focused on the next level, you know, trying to get drafted and trying to, you know, go on to the next level and get seen and get, um, you know, scouts eyes on me and all that stuff and kind of got away from my game plan, you know, originally, you know, when I went to college, which was, Hey, just learn as much as you can and, you know, let the other stuff take care of itself, but, you know, really just try to hone your craft. That first year at New Mexico, you're draft eligible for the third time in mm-hmm. your life. You got popped out of high school, popped out of junior college. You don't get drafted as a junior. Where, where was your mentality yeah. at at that point? Was that was that a pan um, was that a panic point? No, you know, if anything, it was probably more of a humbling point for sure. You know, because I think 
out of high school and then out of junior college, I, I, I got drafted. And like I said, both of them were later rounds, but I think, you know, I thought, okay, well, yeah, it'll happen. You know, it'll for sure happen when, you know, the time comes. Well, and then after my junior year, when I didn't get drafted, it was kind of like, oof, hey, back to the drawing board. You know, we got some work to do if we want to, you know, keep this train rolling after my senior year. Um, but it was also a good thing for me, I think, because I came in, you know, my senior year with the with the mentality of, hey, I'm going to have as much fun as I can and play it as if it is my last year of baseball. And, you know, if things go well, it'll take care of itself. And that's kind of exactly what I did. I just really wanted to play for the team and I wanted to pitch my butt off and, you know, really just work on my pitching and get better and try to, you know, be as, as much service to the team as I could be. And like I said, luckily it did take care of itself and, you know, ended up better. Well, yeah, you mentioned that junior year, you know, the tough one, you carry a five, five, two ERA. You didn't miss a ton of yeah. bats. Senior year, you carry a two, nine, missed a bunch of bats, walk less guys, first team, all mountain West last seven starts are absolutely nails. Is it, do you attribute it all to mentality? Like, in, you know, I, I use this analogy a lot. You play like the NCAA football game and between a guy's junior and senior year, he jumps up like seven, you know, his, his rating jumps <laughs> yeah. at seven points. Or your, your rating just based on, based on performance jumped up. What do you attribute that to? Is that learning a different way to go about your business or is it just pitching relaxed? I think it was a combination of both for sure. Um, you know, we got a new pitching coach that year, which I really clicked with uh, Dan Spencer was his name. And he actually used to be the head coach at uh, Texas tech for a little while. He was a pitching coach at Oregon state. Um, and then was at Washington state for a little while as well. And when he was at New Mexico, you know, he just, he really wanted to basically sat me down and just said, Hey, let's just focus on your mechanics. Let's get you back to throwing strikes, get the ball over the plate, you know, and, and make your stuff work, you know, make hitters, put the ball in play. And we kind of, you know, like I said, kind of reined everything in because the year before I had, you know, issues with walking guys and throwing too many pitches. And I mean, you know, I'm 75 pitches into the game and I'm only in the third inning, you know, when in my junior year, whereas senior year, you know, the mentality became, hey, let's throw the ball over the plate and let my defense work for me. And and like I said, uh, you know, you combine that with pitching relaxed and, you know, actually enjoying yourself and telling yourself, hey, you got nothing to lose, you know, go out there and have fun play like it you know could be your last year so I definitely think that that was you know the two key things that attributed to you know the more success my senior year so with your your three years of programs obviously division one little different than junior college but I'm always I'm always interested in, in the fall especially in a at a four-year school the fall can be like can be a bummer it can be long it's just scrimmaging it's just working out and stuff like that you've had <laughs> you've had three looks at it the junior college fall obviously you get you get more baseball and stuff like that what in your mind what are what's the, what's the best way to run a fall or what are what are great things that you can do in the fall what are things in the fall that you wish you would just get com cut out completely yeah i mean obviously you know every every fall no matter if it's junior college i mean high school even you know division 1 wherever you know it's really about getting reps in you know everyone getting their work in staying sharp um getting stronger you know getting your conditioning level up um that kind of stuff and you know for me i think the most important thing in the fall for you know any program is really building the camaraderie and i think that's what we did at new mexico and and it was really eye opening for me to see because you know my juniors year and senior year I mean, we had great uh, camaraderie within our team. We had a great group of guys, and that was kind of the focus of the fall was, hey, we're going to be as close-knit group as we can be and, you know, not forcing it, but just we're going to have fun with each other. We're going to get to know each other. And, you know, you really kind of start to get, you know, to where these people are, you know, your best friends and you want to play for them and you want to play with them and you want to just have a good time on the, on the uh, diamond with them. So 
I definitely think that, you know, that's the number one thing for me in the fall is just building the camaraderie and building the team, you know, the team aspect of it. With only two years at the, at the school, like I spent, you know, I spent actually five years at my school. So I, I, <laughs> I built some relationships as far as how I felt about other schools in the conference. You see them a bunch with only two years, were you able to build a significant hate towards another school? Is there anyone that you're just not a fan of? <laughs> um, no, you know, I really can't say that I was, had a hate towards any other school or team or anything like that. Um, you know, I think, gosh, no, I mean, I know that we had the, uh, was it the Rio Grande rivalry with New Mexico state, but I, you know, like I said, I, I wasn't there my freshman and sophomore year to see the history of the battle in and everything, you know, I kind of came in as the junior and, and, um, I don't know, it's not too bad, I guess not, no, no teams that come to mind as far as hate anyways. How did you feel about the thin mountain air at Albuquerque? Any, any uh, balls that go out on you that, that you, yeah, you should get Again, back? Humbling experience, <laughs> humbling experience. Yeah, no, it, and that, you know, that's the way that, uh, my pitching coach, my senior year, you know, he sold Albuquerque perfect. He said, this is the best, it's not an easy place to pitch, but it's the best place to learn how to pitch because you, you have immediate results. I mean, Hey, you leave a ball up over the you know middle of the plate. Even if a guy doesn't get, you know, hundred percent contact on it, it still might fly because you're a mile high. So, you know, it's a matter of just understanding, Hey, you got to learn how to miss bats. You got to learn how to get ground balls, you know, stay away from big fly balls, you know, and then kind of, I guess it's kind of ironic that my last two years, it was all about pitching up in the zone and trying to get fly balls, <laughs> but yeah, no, it actually did, you know, make you focus on, again, going back to the drawing board of learning how to pitch. So, so season wraps, you guys wrap at the Fullerton Regional 2013 MLB draft. You're a senior. It is now your job to save someone some money because that is in this, <laughs> yes. in this draft and the, the, the years of bonus pools. It is it is the senior's job to get drafted in the top 10 rounds, save someone some yep. money so they can pay some 18 year old a bunch. <laughs> yeah. Were you told before the draft what the likely outcome? Like, how are how are you gaming that? Because it's not like it's not as much on talent level. You were a more attractive senior sign, like in your mm -hmm. BA scouting report, you're coming off a good year. You've got a good arm. Um, you know, so that there's, so there's appeal there. You just have no leverage. So going into right. that draft where you have to sign, what was kind of the game plan? You know, I think I had such a better understanding, um, mentally as far as how the draft worked and, you know, understanding that, Hey, yeah, senior, you know, they save you money and all that kind of stuff. Um, so like I said, I think going in with, I wouldn't say low expectations, but expectations that, Hey, yeah, you're not going to, you know, be a big money guy or anything like that but it's more about getting your foot in the door and the opportunity and, you know, what you do with that opportunity is what really matters. Um, and so I think having that mentality going in, you know, I, I wasn't really expecting or dissatisfied with where I went or, you know, I wanted to go earlier or get more money or anything like that. You know, I was, I was very happy. And I mean, when my name, yeah, I got picked in the sixth round. I mean, I was, you know, shocked that I actually went that early and um, you know, but obviously knew, of course, I'm going to save them some money, but Hey, I'm just happy for the opportunity that I get to you know, keep it going after my senior year. And, and then now it's just on me, what I need to do when I'm in the door. You and I, we, we talked about this a little bit last year about, you know, if you would have signed out of high school, maybe you're afforded more chances or, or you know, give it a little extra time for, for whatever right. it might be. Just give them a little more status because if you sign out of high school, you're probably getting a little bit more money, a little bit more invested in you. What, what was gained in the four years in college that you, that could have, that you think benefited you a little bit more than just the, the extra, you know, the extra leeway that you might've gotten right. at 18. Um, you know, I think just the adversity that you go through in college and, you know, you're with an older group of guys, you know, when you're a freshman and sophomore, you're, you're kind of the, you know, small fish in the big pond again, you know, you're not 
like in high school, you're the big fish in the small pond. Well, you go back to college and it's kind of like starting back over, you know? Um, and I think just the growing pains, the adversity that you go through a little bit in college, but having, you know, everyone behind you and that support system with the college team, I think is huge. Um, you know, I think when you're in the professional side and then it's your job, I think it can be a little bit more stressful, a little bit more taxing mentally on guys. Um, you know, I think that's when you see, you know, when guys are struggling, you know, the wheels really turning because, you know, they don't have a lot of camaraderie picking them up and, you know, playing for the team type of thing. And only, you know, only 20 guys with you type of type of deal. So um, I definitely think that college is, was a big thing for me. Just like I said, having that support system of the team, um, you know, while you're going through adversity. And like I said, you know, I didn't have really a great college um, career until my last year, my senior year. So I definitely think it was a big benefit for me. How that, that kind of mentality of it's not, it's not as team focused. The, the thing about right. pro ball, we've you know, how quick does that does that kind of come into play? Is that apparent? You go out and you're in short season, you know, right out right, right after you sign. Is it kind of apparent right away that things are different? Because like most guys from short season are coming either from from high school where they're you know their high school team, everyone was big. We got to mm-hmm. win state, whatever it is. College, we got to win. You know, got to win conference, got to make regionals, that sort of thing. Does that, does it gradually kind of turn into a little more individualistic or, you know, as you get older, you get higher in the minors or is it from the get go? Hey, this is very different. No, I definitely think that there's a lot of camaraderie at the lower levels of the minor league side. I think when you get into the higher levels and there's, you know, a lot more transactions and the business side of things, um, of course it's going to fizzle, you know, um, you're playing, I mean, the team that you start with, you know, for a triple A season, the beginning of the year. I mean, nine times out of 10 is very different at the end of the year, you know, just with different transactions and releases and guys moving here and trades and all that stuff. Um, so I do, I, I think that, you know, at the lower levels, there's still that camaraderie and, you know, everyone's excited. Everyone's, you know, excited to finally be in the door. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, especially I would even say double A on down, you know, everyone is pushing for their organization, you know, and I think the, com- the camaraderie, camaraderie, you know, around the organization is 100% there. The individual team is hard because, you know, everybody's playing to get off the team. You know, you want to go up to that next level. So in a sense, it's like, yeah, I mean, you love the team you're playing with and the guys you're on the field with, and you're pushing, you know, as hard as you can. Um, but at the same time, you're, you're hoping to get sent up, you know, or sent off the team. <laughs> so it's just a completely different way of looking at it. You know, you're kind of sitting there like, yeah, you know, I don't want to be here all year. I love the guys, but I, you know, I'm, I want to pitch my, my way to the next level. I definitely want to come back to that when we get talking about the, especially life in the upper levels. Cause you spent a lot of time yeah. in the upper levels. So I want, I want to talk mm-hmm. about that aspect, but, um, you're that first year when they send you to short season and then a little bit in, uh, you split some time in low a as well. They, they send you to the bullpen and your nails, your, your lights out that first year in the bullpen, <laughs> you, you'd gone, gone from the spring. What was different about, coming out of the bullpen, that mentality, whatever the game plan was there versus you, you know, your starts that spring in New Mexico, like, were you, did you drop a pitch? Did you, you know, what, what were you changing up there? You know, honestly, I kind of looked at it, I guess, mentality, almost like going back to that perfect game deal. You know, when I went down to Florida as out of high school, it's kind of like, I only had two innings to showcase what I had as a pitcher. So I was going to empty the tank and let it all eat and, you know, show you what I have. And I kind of took that mentality, you know, when I was closing my very first year with uh, with the Rangers in short season, I kind of was just like, hey, I'm going to go out there. I know I only have an inning or two and I'm going to show them everything I got. And that's what I did. And I think, you know, 
having been built up um, from my college season, you know, I think I threw what, somewhere around 90, 93 innings or somewhere around there. Um, but I think having that stamina, you know, and then when you go and you're only throwing one inning at a time, the velocity started to go up a little bit more. I think my, um, my off-speed stuff got a little bit sharper, a little bit more crisp just because, you know, I was kind of throwing a little bit more on a consistent basis instead of every, you know, Friday I was throwing, you know, three, four times a week. Um, and so it was nice. I actually really enjoyed it a lot. Did you have any desire to remain in the bullpen at all? Was there any, like any part of you was like, Hey, ain't broke. Don't fix it. Like, let's just run this I, out there. A hundred percent. And I did. And I, you know, there's a big part of me that I definitely wanted to stay in the closing role and, and, you know, see kind of how quick type of thing you can get sent up um, or at least be moved up the organization. Um, but at the same time, I also, you know, got to see, got a little eye opening, you know, I think when I went to instructional league that year, um, or after that season at kind of how valuable, you know, starting pitchers are in, uh, in baseball and in these pro professional organizations. I mean, you know, you're getting the reps, you're getting, you know, more experience. It's kind of, you know, you're seeing a lot of the, you know, big arms in their organization being starters just because they want them to be as polished as possible for the big league level. So I knew that by them wanting me to become a starter, you know, that was them hoping to, you know, get me a little bit more polished and, you know, maybe be, you know, pay off later down the road for them in the big leagues. Well, that, that first full season, you, you jumped to high age, jumped to the Carolina league, jumped to Myrtle beach, which like if looking through, looking through your career, you, you essentially just spent a, a lot of time in cities that I like personally, which is you know good. Like Myrtle <laughs> beach, I go there every year. Uh, Frisco, the, my first yep. date with my wife was actually at one of your starts in Frisco. Nice. Uh, yeah. Thanks for the tickets. Um, yeah, yeah, and then <laughs> Richmond where I grew up, which we, we've talked about that. So when you're, you're spending months in these places, how much time do you actually, you know, get to get to live in a city or get the feel of a city with how much time being a minor league baseball player takes up? Yeah. I mean, you definitely, I would say you get to learn the breakfast spots. That's the biggest thing I would say, because, you know, you're at the field pretty much from, you know, one o'clock on. So you're really, you know, by the time the game's over, you, there's not a lot of places open to eat dinner or go check out, you know, a lot of things are closed. Um, but, you know, I was fortunate enough. My wife was with me pretty much every step of the way through baseball or, you know, out with me during seasons um, from that first Myrtle beach year on. And so we actually really took advantage of every city that we were in and, you know, tried to make it a point to like, Hey, let's get up and let's go find a new breakfast spot this morning. Let's go get lunch here before I got to go to the ballpark. Um, you know, let's get up tomorrow morning and go check out, you know, this area that's 30 minutes away. And so I think that that was um, probably one of the biggest blessings that I had in baseball was just having her with me to where, you know, we did get to experience a lot of these places that I played to, you know, together. So that was a lot of fun. One thing that you're in Myrtle beach, I remember talking to you about, I mean, years ago, I think when you're in Myrtle beach, you got to, uh, you got to watch Joey Gallo take BP every day. I need you, yeah. I need you to walk me through what the, what the Joey Gallo BP experience is like, who I believe was 19 that year. Yep. Yep. And I, you know, I had known, I had known of Joey obviously. Um, but my first year actually, before I played with him in Myrtle beach, um, I had gotten sent up from uh, Spokane, Washington to Hickory, North Carolina, and he hit a home run. And I think it was maybe my first or second game that I was part of the team. And I had never seen, you know, go that far, that high, that quick, that, I mean, everything. It was, that was the first glimpse of like, oh, that's a big league home run. That's the type of power that you, you know, hear people talk about. And you just don't ever see. And then to get to play with them the following year, I mean, he just continued to do it. And it was just like, this, this guy's a freak of nature. I mean, the pop that he has, the power he has, you know, the way that he's able to send a ball is just, 
unbelievable. How apparent is it when you're you're playing either with or against certain guys where everyone's a professional, but like it, a guy you play against, you can just point out, oh, that that guy's a definite big leaguer. That guy's a definite big right. leaguer. Like how often yep. is it is someone is it that apparent with someone? You know, it's in double A you kind of start to be able to, you know, pick and choose guys a little bit more. I mean, just because it comes down to being more polished and more consistent. You know, I think um, you know, from A ball on down or even double A on down, you know everybody has a tool or has some tools, you know? And so it's the guys that are actually putting it together on a pretty consistent basis or having, you know, their one or two plus plus tools, but then they're backing it up with, you know, decent tools as well to play. I think that's when you kind of look at a guy and go, okay, there's something a little different about him. You know, not only is he for sure using his plus plus tools, but the other stuff that he has in the bag is what's making him so special. And yeah, you do, you, you do start to get to, I don't know, kind of identify which guys are like, Hey, you know, like Joe Yell that year in Myrtle beach, you know, I think halfway through um, is when he got sent out to double a, but it was like, even the first month of the season, you know, guys were kind of looking around in the dugout and in the clubhouse kind of like, what is he doing here? What is he even doing here? He is so far beyond here right now. And yeah, of course, you know, shortly after he goes up. So yeah, you definitely can see which guys maybe, you know, have, have something a little bit special about them. Yeah, he has he has eighty grade power because they don't give out eighty fives. Um, but that, that your first year, your first full season is a is a solid year. One hundred twenty innings, three three seventy RA. You know you're in highest, so you're age appropriate. Um, you know it's not as if you're dominating the lower levels. We you know we talked about if you're you know high school, you get those chances, you get that that preference as a signee after turning in essentially a great debut season. And then your first full season is quality. You're primed to go to double a, did you, did you notice any more favor with the organization at, you know, good enough to go to the fall league? Like, did you, right. did you feel a part of plans? Do you get a sense of that, of who's, who's in their plans? Who's not in their plans? Definitely. I think, you know, especially, you know, when you get invited to the fall league, you know, you hear about it being kind of a, such a kudos type of league to go to. And so that's exactly what it was when they, you know, asked me to go to the fall league. I mean, I was, you know, um, ecstatic to be able to go, but also, you know, gave me some comfort knowing that, Hey, this organization thinks highly of me, you know, and they are looking at me as maybe being a guy that can contribute here sooner rather than later. And so I definitely think it, you know, it worked both ways. It was kind of a comfort feeling for me and, you know, that the organization was behind me, but then it just made me want to, you know, play, pitch that much better and play that much harder and, you know, continue going, you know, to, you know, give them back what they're putting into me. Fall league is basically every team is an all-star team. You know, we talked about Joey yep. Gallo jumping out. Was there someone on your fall league team who you were just like, this is, this is like a, a freakish human. Hunter Renfro was one of them. Um, just, I mean, his arm from the outfield and then, you know, he has pop just like Joey does or very similar to, um, he was one that kind of stood out to me. Um, it's just, man, you know, talk about a guy that has tools and, you know, is a stud. Um, yeah, I mean, there, you know, I was, I don't know, I, I played in the fall league three different years. So I kind of, they all kind of start blending together of which guys he played with at certain times. But um, no, there is just so much talent in that, in that league. And it's just a fun league to watch. And, you know, the guys, the tools that they have, it's really cool. Yeah, people always talk about oh, I want to go to spring training and stuff like. I feel like going to the fall because like you, the the rare games <laughs> yeah. that go on MLB Network, there's like no one there. It's like you could just sit on the baseline and and yeah. see you know future all stars. But um, you you get that season in Myrtle good enough. You know, you go to the fall league spring training, you snap your Achilles. Yep. <laughs> For, if, yeah, you're, was... if, if you're just reading that as a fan, it's like oh, this guy tore his Achilles. He's on the IL. You know, we'll see him when we see him. What is being the player? 
spending a summer rehabbing that whole thing. Like what is, what does that do to your psyche when you're on this up? Basically since your senior year of college, you've been on this upward momentum of, you know, this upward trajectory and then everything gets, you know, paused. Yeah. And I think that was the hardest part um, to maybe cope with a little bit was, yeah, the fact that, you know, I was kind of on the up and up with them and I was, you know, trending in the right direction and I was slotted to hopefully go to double a that year and pitch. And um, so I guess, you know, it was all that work that you do in the off season and, you know, all your expectations that you have going into the season. And then something like that happens in, you know, spring training. And it's like, Oh, all of a sudden, Hey, we're not going to have a season, you know, your focus has to switch from, you know, the season and what you're going to do and, you know, what level you're going to hope to get to, to, okay, now I just need to focus on getting my body back to where it was so that I can compete again. So it was definitely a little bit of a blow to, you know, kind of, bring the yeah trajectory on up to a halt and just have to sit and, you know, not sit, but, you know, rehab for an entire summer in Arizona and, you know, beautiful 120 degree heat. And, <laughs> but no, it was great. You know, we had a great um, just core group of rehab guys um, that year, the rehab staff that the Rangers had. I mean, I loved, I mean, they were great with me. I still keep in touch with all of them to this day um, just because, like I said, they were so, uh, instrumental in, you know, getting me back on the field. And I was able to play, you know, that fall in the fall league, which, you know, I was happy that I was able to salvage something, you know, somewhat of a league out of that year. Rehab, you, you always hear like the, I guess the cliche thing, I'm going to come out of this stronger. I'm going to get better. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, do this thing. It's kind of like, I'm, I'm going to be in the best shape of my life. That whole thing. A part of that, I'd imagine is a mentality thing. You're, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not thinking that you'll, you'll come out of this stronger, but how much is reality? When you're, because you, right. you know, unfortunately that, that injury is not the only time that, that you've had to rehab and we'll, you know, we'll get into some of that, oh, yeah. but how much <laughs> is like, are you striving for things of like, I can be better from this? Or is it like, I just need to tell myself that and I need to get healthy. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, when immediately when an injury happens and your mind kind of switches into that, okay, now I need to go to rehab, you know, immediately you try to kind of psych yourself up into okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get so much better at this. I'm going to get stronger here. I'm going to do all these things. And, you know, that, I wouldn't say that that fizzles, but it definitely tones down and reality ends up setting in, you know, about a month into the rehab and it's like, this is going to be a grind. You know, this is going to be a little bit lengthier than I thought it was going to be. And, you know, harder just to continue pushing and pushing and pushing um, because you, you do, you go through some different growing pains and um, you know, especially when you're getting back on the mound and you know, what you think, you can just pick up like that, you know, it's kind of relearning it again, relearning your body and having to, you know, get consistent with everything. And so I think it's, you know, sometimes frustrating because what used to be, you know, maybe come a little bit easier, a little bit more consistent, you know, when, before the injury, you know, now you're having to go back and work on stuff that, you know, you really never had to pay attention to in the past. You get back out there in 2016, you, you make the bump up to Frisco, you're in the rotation for a couple months, get hurt mm -hmm. again, more rehab. Um, the, the decision to go to the pen, is that a, was that an organization decision? Was that something you asked for? Was it a meet in the middle thing? No, I definitely think it was, I mean, we were both on the same page. I think it was to kind of limit my innings and protect myself a little bit and, you know, try to keep me on the field was I think the biggest, uh, goal with putting me back in the bullpen from the, uh, rotation. I think, you know, going from missing an entire season with the Achilles, straight back into a rotation and, you know, trying to keep up the entire starting workload was, um, you know, just a little bit too much for me too quick. Um, and I guess, you know, like I said, my flexor kind of started flaring up that year and, and breaking down. And you know, I think that was one of my faults, you know, mentally, I, 
I wanted to stay on the field. I didn't want to be hurt again. I had just spent last year hurt. I didn't, you know, want to come off the field and, you know, your arms, it's, it's like a car motor, you know, it's, it's your, that is your livelihood. And, you know, if you hear something in your car, you know, you take it in and get it serviced, get it fixed and get back on the road. You know, whereas I basically press the gas harder. <laughs> Knowing what you know now, <laughs> how much earlier would you have, would you have walked off the mountain and basically said, I need an MRI, I need something. Yeah, I think definitely that comes with, you know, just maturity in the game um, and being around the game long enough to understand that, hey, you know, I mean, yes, you want to be on the field and you want to be serviceable for the organization, but you're only serviceable if you're healthy and you're durable and usable, you know. Um, and so that was kind of the biggest thing was, like I said, that I had to learn um, the older I got was just, hey, you know, if, if something's barking, you know, you got to speak up and address it, you know, first, because you're not doing yourself a service by breaking your body down even more, you know, because you may think that you're only doing one part of your body or, you know, hurting one part of your body. Well, in reality, you know, you're compensating elsewhere in your body. So you may be hurting other parts. And so it is, it's very important to, you know, kind of listen to your body. And, you know, the second you, you feel something or, or are feeling something, you know, yeah, you got to get it addressed and looked at and taken care of. And, you know, it's always better to be safe and sorry, you know, safe and sorry. So. You make it back for 2017. You're in the bullpen. Bullpen agrees with you. You're dealing. You get bumped to AAA. Once you get bumped to AAA, how often does do you go to the ballpark being like, today's the day? Am I getting the call today? Like, how <laughs> do you have to beat that out of your mind? Um, it's not that you beat it out of your mind. I think you go there with the with the hope that hey, I'm on the right track. I'm doing everything right. You know. Um, Hopefully, you know, hopefully something's happening soon is really kind of what you're hoping for, you know, that they make a move. And, you know, I know the trade deadline happened and it was kind of like, okay, what's going to happen? Who's going to go up? Um, Who could go up? You know, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think for me, I was just happy to finally be up in AAA. And so I wasn't really too, you know, keyed on the big league level um, immediately when I got there. I think, you know, I've been pitching for a little while there and have been throwing pretty well. And, you know, I think towards maybe – August, July-ish area, I was kind of like, okay, you know, September's around the corner. And this is still when they had the September call-ups that they could expand the roster to all 40 guys if they wanted to. And I kind of thought, okay, let's just keep going. And, you know, hopefully I'm in those talks. So kind of same thing as the previous season. How long were you hurting before you actually spoke, especially with like, I just got to make it to September. Yeah. So we had a pitching coordinator that actually called me at the end of July, um, or is either at the end of July or midway through July. I think it was midway through July. And he said, Hey, um, we, you know, we're calling up this kid. Uh, you know, we just wanted to let you know that your name was in the talk as well. You know, you're doing things right. You're on the right track. Just keep doing what you're doing. And about two weeks later felt the flexor again and it got tight and it, you know, just didn't feel right. And I kind of thought, Oh no, terrible timing. You know, we're a month away from September and, you know, not far from the season being over. If I can just push through the end of the season, I'll have the rest time, the downtime. Well, two weeks later, I ended up actually tearing my flexor and, and was out for, you know, not just the rest of that year, but then a little bit of the following year after getting traded. So again, kind of same question. <laughs> Would you have, I mean, with prior, you know, right. hindsight, should you have just, just walked off? Um, you know, that was a tough year. And I think, you know, there was definitely part of me that wanted to speak up and say something, but at the same time, I think, you know, I was trying to, not freak myself out and not think that it was as bad as it actually was, Um, you know, and kind of tell myself, Hey, just push through it, push through it, you know, and then it kind of became to one outing where, I mean, I couldn't throw and that, that was, you know, the 
the last outing of that year that was like, okay, yep, it needs to be fixed. Something needs to be addressed, you know, because something's not right. That offseason, you get you're part of a trade for Matt Moore, established mm-hmm. big leaguer. When that happens, when that goes through, do you view that as a positive or is that a, oh no, I got a, a whole new group of people I need to impress? Um, no, I definitely, you know, that's one of the first things that they tell you when you get drafted and you get into professional baseball and, you know, they talk about, hey, trades are, are very possible for everybody in the room. You know, you never know who could get traded. Um, but the fact is that if you get traded for the team you're going to, I mean, they want you. And so it is, it's, it, you know, I think there's some comfort in that, that, you know, that you're going to a team that really wants you and they traded for you and, you know, they have some value in you. And so I was excited for that when I went to San Francisco, just the fact that, you know, Hey, they want me. And, and I was at an upper level, you know, in the AAA area. So hopefully when I get back from this surgery, you know, I'll be right back in that kind of double A triple A level and, you know, be shooting for the big leagues before long. And um, you know, but then there's also the flip side of that where, you know, you just spent five years with one organization and all the coaching staff, the players, you know, your teammates, friends, all that kind of stuff. And so it is a little bit of like, you know, leaving home type of feeling. With that, how much is there much difference in how an organization coaches you or tells you to go about your business? Like, it's not like you got to San Francisco and they're like, Sam, we want you to be a knuckleballer. (laughs) But it's like, do they, you know, is there anything of like, Hey, especially, you know, techs coming into play at that point, obviously like Mm -hmm. we point to organizations like the Astros or the Rays or whatever will unlock something in someone somehow. Um, Is is there anything, you know, do is there any sort of meaning of like, Hey, we like you to do this more. We want you to, to pitch like this. Or is it like, Hey, do the same stuff you were doing in Texas. Yeah. I think that was kind of the initial uh, meeting and sit down that I had when Bobby Evans was the GM at the time. And, you know, that's pretty much what they said. Hey, we liked what you were doing with Texas. You know, our goal right now is just to get you back healthy and get you back on the field and kind of, you know, get you right back to that spot that you were at um, in round rock. And so I was excited at that, that, you know, I was coming into an organization, like I said, that wanted me, but also wasn't going to, you know, try to overhaul me and make me a completely different pitcher or, you know, throw so many different things at me that, you know, I wasn't comfortable with. I think, you know, they did a really good job of just letting me do my thing and focus on the rehab part of it. And then, you know, the baseball stuff took care of itself. Same kind of thing of like, from a fan's perspective, we hear about injuries. Oh, it takes a guy, you know, this takes some time to come, you know, to come back from, or (laughs) to get right from when you're going through it, are you because like your your twenty eighth season, your first season in the Giants organization, it the numbers are rusty. Twenty nineteen right. is nails. You're kind of back to right. back to that guy who you were when you're going through it. When you are quote unquote healthy, like mm-hmm. you're you're pitching, you're active, but you're not as good, or it's just right. not not as sharp. Are you consciously aware of this is something that I could do that is just not coming out the same, or is is it like is it just a mystery really until you start clicking? Yeah, no. And that's exactly kind of what happened. I mean, I was, uh, you know, had gotten healthy again, was able to get sent back out to double A, I think, to finish that year. Um, But it was frustrating because, you know, I was kind of trying to feel the command out again, trying to throw strikes, you know, kind of almost brought me back to like my junior year of college, you know, where it's like, I know, I know it's there. I got to find it though. (laughs) You know, I'm kind of sporadic around the strike zone. I'm not getting ahead of hitters. Um, You know, I didn't have as great a feel of my off-speed stuff as I, I did before. Um, but at the same time, you, you know, there's a, there comes a time where you have to cut yourself some slack and, and realize where you're at in the whole process, you know, and kind of reel yourself back and just say, Hey, you know, this, you had surgery, you had an arm surgery. It's not going to be, you know, the next day, all of a sudden it just clicks and you just have everything back. I mean, it's a grind and you go through it and, you know, there's the ups and downs. Some days your arm feels great. 
you know, and then there's some days where it's grindy and, you know, you, you, you always have this envision in your head that once I come back from surgery, like you're never going to have a problem with that arm again. Right. But reality is, yeah, you have probably more aches and pains than you did before. It's just different. And it's just being able to feel, you know, understand your arm, listen to it and really know, you know, what's, what's hurting and what's just sore, you know, and achy. And, you know, I think that's part of the hurdle of getting back into um, a regular season and pitching on a consistent basis is understanding that, you know, there's going to be a little grinding that you're going to have to push through and you can't just freak yourself out at the first thing you ever feel. So essentially your last five years of pro ball are spent doing a little shuffle between double A and triple A between mm-hmm. injuries and, and organization changes, stuff like that. You're, you know, you kind of split in time. Are there any actual noticeable differences between pitching in double A and pitching in triple A? Like, is there anything you can point to of like, this is way harder in triple A? Cause <laughs> they talk about high A to double A being the jump besides right the jump, you know, to the, to the big leagues. Is there, mm-hmm. is there much of a difference? You know, for me personally, I, I truly felt like the, the jump was between double A AA and triple A. Um, I thought going from high A to double A um, wasn't as bad um, of a jump. I think that, you know, you get to double A and you're still seeing guys that have, like I said, crazy tools, you know, you're, some guys have great power, but they may not have the plate discipline yet. Um, you know, some guys have a great arm, but they're not throwing strikes yet or consistently, you know, sometimes, you know, they come out one day and their nails the next day, you don't know who you're getting. Whereas in AAA, I think it's a little bit more polished and you're kind of starting to see guys that are, you know, like I said, more consistent Um, pitchers. You kind of know what to expect with guys every day out, Uh, you know, up and down the lineup, you're seeing guys that are sticking to an approach and have their approach and, you know, they're executing their approach is what's so impressive. I think in AAA, um, you know, where you can throw a great fastball located exactly where you wanted to. And you thought in your mind, but if it plays into that hitter's approach, I mean, he doesn't miss it at that level. He, you know, nine times out of 10, they don't, you know, they're just, they uh, are, are just a more mature player. I would say with that, with, with a guys having these approaches and sticking to them and stuff like that. And you also knowing who you are as a pitcher, this I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out how to word this. When, when you're on the bump, did you, at that high level, do you pitch more to a hitter's weaknesses? Because at that point you have yeah. track record, you have stats, stuff like that. Do you pitch more to their weaknesses or what you do well? You know, I think it depends on, luckily the last couple of years we had so much data and analytics that that always helps as well. But um, no, I think at the end of the day, the general rule of thumb for everybody is, you know, you, you stick with your strengths first. You know, that's what you're comfortable with. You know, you don't ever want to, kind of go back to the dugout thinking, Oh man, I threw my third best pitch because I thought that that guy can't handle it. You know, I would rather throw my best pitch and get beat, you know, than trying to compete with my fourth best pitch when I know that, you know, it's just not there. Um, So I definitely think that, yeah, sticking with, with your strengths is one of the biggest things, but I also think, you know, at that level, you have to have the feel for the game to understand, Hey, sometimes hitters are hot and it doesn't matter what your strength is. You know, you have to have a better plan and a better approach and, and, you know, be able to every day you should be able to utilize at least two pitches, especially out of the bullpen, in my opinion. I mean, you may not have the location of the secondary pitch, but just, you still have to throw it, you know? And I think that that's something that regardless of, you know, if it's there or not, you just have to go with it. You mentioned the data, the analytics, towards the end of your career tech is, is really taking a hold. And like, mm-hmm. in I think your last year in the giants organization, they, they had a video with, they did a little video with you, like how to train like a pro pitcher, stuff like yeah. that. 
we we've seen all the you know the screen spitting out a bunch of numbers <laughs> and the 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 slow mo spinning balls and stuff like that. What did what did tech specifically do to make you better? Like, what did you learn about yourself through, you know, th- through the computer that right. you could learn from a pitching coach just watching you? Yeah, I, I truly think that the technology side of baseball, I mean, has just simplified it for the player, honestly. And it's taken a big weight off of a lot of players' shoulders because it's, you know, it tells you literally, hey, here's what you do really well. Stick to that. And here's, you know, the results that you get with it. Um, you know, I think that before when I was a starter, there were times where it was like, oh, yeah, you know, my changeup's decent. My slider's pretty good. My curveball is not bad, you know, whatever. Well, and then you look at the tech side of it and you go, okay, so we're going to can the changeup. We're going to can the curve. We're going to go fastball slider because according to the analytics, those two do not play. And, you know, and then you go back and look at the stats of them. You go, yeah, that's right. Yeah, my changeup did get hit pretty hard. Yeah, my curveball usually stayed up. So, no, I definitely think that the technology side just really simplified it and made it, you know, uh, eye-opening for players to understand, Hey, here's what you do really well and just stick to that. And if you can execute what you do really well, you'll have good results. So the pandemic hits season is postponed. It's up in the air at that mm-hmm. point, guys like you minor league vets hadn't hit, you know, hadn't hit no, no service time. Didn't sign for a ton of money. Don't have millions in the bank to sit on. How did you spend that time? And was it in a, in a full blown panic? <laughs> no, it was not a full-blown panic. Um, my wife and I, we actually moved up to South Dakota during that, uh, during that little shutdown period. Um, you know, partially it was just to kind of come back. That's where I'm from, obviously. And so to come back home, uh, my wife works out of here. And yeah, we kind of took full advantage of the downtime. And when we got out to golf, we got out to, you know, just do a lot of active stuff that we haven't been able to do, um, you know, in a summer for a, a really long time. So I think that we use that time just to really take it as a breath of fresh air and, you know, kind of our little mini summer within a summer. You were in kind of a weird, weird spot with your contract and your status and your, your length of right. service time in the minor leagues. Walk me through your release and your residing with the Giants and that, <laughs> that, how that came about. Yeah. So the following or the uh, off season before that, uh, that was my first year that I'd hit minor league free agency. And um, I signed with, the Giants before actually actually getting to free agency um, had signed a one year contract and then and the what did that look hit. like compared to your your previous seven years of uh yeah unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> it was it was nice to actually you know feel like you have some control of your career you know and actually have some say yeah I mean to be able to say you know yes okay I'm good with that contract and yes I want to sign that you know uh, was something that I hadn't had for seven years so yeah that was definitely a breath of fresh air to finally be at that point in your career to, to make those decisions and to be able to weigh your, you know, weigh your different options and stuff like that. So um, yeah. And, you know, like I said, I had enjoyed my time with the giants and I had really been um, excited about what was coming um, with the giants, with, you know, the coaches that they were bringing in the, you know, having Farhan, his regime and everything that they've done. I mean, obviously you see what they're doing, you know, even still to this day, you know, yet last year and this year, I mean, it's incredible. Um, they have, you know, a lot of good people in good places. And so I was excited about continuing my development with them and, you know, kind of um, having a history with the team rather than signing, you know, with a new team and not, you know, having to go relearn everybody and them relearn me and all that kind of stuff. So there was definitely some comfort in re-signing with them. Um, but yeah, then the pandemic hit, obviously they shut down. They went to the 60 man player pool. Um, originally I was not on it. Um, and I think about a week later, they ended up adding me to it because one of the players had gotten COVID 
And so they were out the entire um, second spring training. And so I was added to it. Um, well, at the end of that spring training, they had to add that player back to that 60 man player pool. And the only way to take me off of that player pool um, was to release me or was, you know, so what they did, they called me basically and said, you know, Hey, um, here's what's happening. This is our only transaction really that we can do, but we want to keep you. And, you know, are you open to signing a two-year contract? And I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, so that's basically how that all happened to where I was, yeah, released in a day and then re-signed in a day. With them. And then you spent some time at the alternate site, right? Yep. Yep. Spent that whole year at the alternate site. What was life like at the alternate site compared to just like being in spring training? That was tough. You know, the alternate site was tough just in the sense that, you know, I mean, we could only go really to the field and to the hotel and that was it. You know, they didn't want us obviously going and getting food out and about doing anything like that with COVID um, being so prevalent. So yeah, it was a lot of time of just, you know, you're at the field, you're at the hotel room, you're at the field, you know, it's felt very monotonous and just kind of dragging on type of feeling. Um, And then at the same time out in Sacramento, they had, you know, terrible fires that summer. And so the whole, you know, uh, entire sky looked like ominous and, you know, the smoke and all that stuff. And it just, yeah, it felt very apocalyptic <laughs> a little bit, but um, no, it was a grind. It was a grind, but you know, we had a good group of people and group of players in that alternate site and coaching staff that, you know, I felt like we really did grow and like get a lot out of that alternate site as far as just as a player. So I want to, I want to, I guess, circle back to the conversation we were having earlier about how the, you know, the chemistry between guys at the, at the lower Mm -hmm. levels and stuff like that. When you get to the, you get to the higher levels, you get to, you know, especially spending a lot of time in AAA, especially the alternate site where it's like, you are, you are not there even there to play games. You are there to get called up if the giants need you, you know, you had like there was the the Adley Rushman video that came out the other day. He gets called up to the big leagues for the first time. All his teammates pile in; they're all happy for him. Adley yeah. Rushman isn't really he's not taking anybody's spot. That spot is his. He was gonna you right. know, he's he's gonna be in the big leagues for fifteen years. When you're you know you guys are all up there, your teammates, you're playing games, whatever. But in AAA, it's guys trying to get back. It's guys trying to get there for the first time. It's a lot of guys who are those big league like those four A guys. Guy, you know, yep. you, you just need the <laughs> shot. Do those tensions ever come through when it's it's someone else, when it's not you getting the call, when you guys are, are fighting for these spots versus in like short season, it's like, hey, let's go win the Northwest League. This is fun. No, you know, I think that at that level and, you know, the maturity of players there, I think it's just a mutual respect, right? It's, you know, AAA always gets the, um, I don't know, kind of the – what do you call it? The slogan of them of being salty guys, you know, they're all the salty vets that are in AAA, And it's like, no, they're not salty. You know, they're just grinding really hard to try to get back to the big league level or get there for the first time. Um, but I don't think that anybody's ever, you know, battling to the point where they're upset or anything like that. It's like I said, there's a mutual respect of, Hey, when guys go up, Hey, kudos to you. Even if we're in the same position, you know, they take another reliever up to the big leagues as opposed to me. Hey, good job. You, you clearly are doing something right. You know? And so I think that that's where, you know, the camaraderie is still there in a sense of, you know, guys are all pulling for each other, even though we're competing for the same jobs, everyone's pulling for each other and hoping that we all do really well. You know, our, our goal is to make it as hard on our GM as possible to figure out who to pull up, you know? So I think there is definitely still that camaraderie there, but like you said, yeah, you're definitely more focused a little bit on your individual path and what I need to do to get up to the big leagues. And, you know, how am I going to separate myself a little bit or what do I need to do better this month, you know, to, to, you know, truly get in their eyes and get in their plans. You played 2021 season. 
And then, you know, we're talking right now, it's the end of May and it, it's your first season out of baseball. What, yeah. what was the decide? Like how, how long after the 2021 season did you decide I'm, I'm done trying, I'm not going to any ball. I'm not mm-hmm. going overseas. I'm going back to South Dakota and going to work. Yeah. I think, you know, part of it was, um, you know, last year, my, my last season playing in 2021, um, you know, still got bit by the injury bug. It was kind of one thing after another. It was a reoccurring issue with my elbow with um, kind of some bone spurs and inflammation and, you know, stuff that had kind of flared up in the past. And we've, you know, kind of been pushing through for the last three years. Well, last year, you know, it kind of did take me off the field for, you know, and that's, I uh, stayed in extended spring training rehabbing for about the first month of the season, Um, you know, and so that was kind of frustrating. And then when I came back, I think I pitched for about six weeks or something like that and then ended up straining my lat. You know, so it was down for another month and then came back, pitched for about a month and ended up uh, straining my groin. And so it was just kind of like one thing after another, after another, that was, you know, mentally tough to get through. And, um, you know, part of me was just kind of thinking, I, you know, I need to really listen to my body here and figure out what's going on with it. And so that was kind of one of our mindsets going into the off season was, you know, we need to, you know, see a, what opportunities come our way. And if, if they're worth jumping on and taking, let's, yeah, absolutely. Let's go for it. And if not, you know, you know, we need to do it in a healthy manner. And so that's kind of part of the reason that, you know, we decided to step away from baseball was just, you know, my body wasn't holding up well and I need to get, you know, some things addressed. And, and so, yeah, I would say that was, those were the two things that played a part. How much did having four years of college help you in terms of one, the decision to step away. Cause it's, it's not, you don't have to then go back, but also right. the decision to, to play a little longer and to play until you, until you're 30 and keep trying this right. because you have the ability to kind of jump into the next phase of your life without the hang up of, you know, I got to go, you know, I, I got four, I got four years of college in front of me. Yeah, no, I definitely think that that was a huge, um, you know, insurance for me, right. Security type of thing to just know that, Hey, when I'm done playing, it's just the next step of life. You know, I'm not having to go back to school and, you know, completely start over and not sure what I'm going to do after baseball. I kind of always had, you know, somewhat of an idea of what I was going to be doing after baseball, just because of, you know, what I was studying in college. And so I do think that it made it a little bit easier, obviously when I was done with baseball to know, okay, Hey, here's my direction and here's my path that, you know, I'm going down and what I want to do after baseball. So it was, yeah, not too hard at all as far as, you know, having a plan and, and understanding what the next step of life after baseball is. So if you could go back, give yourself a pep talk at 22, right after signing out of Mexico, <laughs> what, would that, what would that pep talk look like? Uh, I'd probably tell myself to listen to my body a little bit better. <laughs> and just, yeah, I mean, like I said, I think that for me, it was understanding, you know, what to push through and what not to push through, right? And I think that for a little bit in my career, um, you know, I was the type that I just wanted to compete. I would, you know, I think anybody that played with me um, will probably, you know, reiterate that, that I'm, I'm a pretty competitive guy and pretty fiery guy to where, you know, it's hard to pull me off the field and I'm not one that's going to, you know, usually take myself out of the game. Um, and, you know, maybe that was a little bit to my downfall, but, you know, I, I think that that would be one thing I would say to, you know, younger players is, you know, understand that, you know, it's a, it's a process and it's a long season and there's a lot of games and, you know, sometimes what, you know, you think taking yourself out of a game or, you know, addressing one issue, what might take five months. Well, if you catch it early enough, it might take two weeks, you know? And so I think that that's a big thing for, 
you know, when I was younger, I wish I would have heard was, Hey, listen to your body and understand that it's okay to miss a little bit of time. You know, if you need to get your body right. Quick rapid fire for you. And then I'll let you get out of here. All right. (laughs) Shoot. Favorite minor league ballpark. Oh God. That's a tough one. Honestly, I loved Frisco. Um, I loved Nashville. I'm going to, I'm just going to say five because it's too hard to pick just one. Um, Frisco was awesome. Nashville is great. I was a big fan of Oklahoma city. Um, let's see. Well, the Vegas aviator stadium is just, the new one is pretty cool as well. Um, and then, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta get one of the lower levels in there too, just cause they're fun. I mean, honestly, Spokane, Washington was such a great atmosphere and obviously with it being my first you know, place that I ever got to play, definitely. I would say there just cause it holds some sentimental value for me. <laughs> Best hitter you ever faced best hitter I've ever faced. Um, hmm. Gosh, I'm trying to think. Hmm. I'm not sure. I'm going to come back to that one. I got to think of, I'll keep it thinking though. Uh, do an ad for the South Dakota board of tourism. Why should people give vacation in South Dakota (laughs) a chance? South Dakota is great. It has a little bit of everything. Um, in the summertime, it is absolutely gorgeous. It's a beautiful place to go. We have hills, trees, um, lakes. I mean, you can pretty much do anything outdoors here in the winter time. It can get a little chilly, but that just means winter sports. So then you got snowboarding, you know, snowmobiling, all that kind of stuff. Um, it really is just a, a really safe and cool place to come and, you know, experience, um, just how much you can do around, around this area. I would like you to define a little chilly. Um, so the past two winters have not been bad. Don't worry. I mean, it does still dip down into the negatives from time to time, but We've been lucky. I mean, this past winter, I played golf in December. I played golf in January. So I know it's pretty surprising. <laughs> that is, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, yeah. I mean, there were some weeks where we'd have snow and then the next week you could go out and golf. It was, it's kind of been the strangest last two years um, as far as winters go, but yeah, it can get pretty frigid here from time to time. <laughs> All right. This is how we're going to find out if you listen, what is the meanest thing your older brother Garrett has ever done to you? The meanest thing, meanest thing that can be, that can be said on a family friendly podcast. The meanest thing that he's ever done to me. Oh gosh. I don't know. Talking prank, middle school bullying, anything, man. One of them, I I don't know. I felt like one of the meanest things one day we were throwing a bunch of water balloons off of our back deck and it was bad. I mean, it was that like, you know, passing cars and stuff. Well, (laughs) it ended up hitting one and then the police were called and Garrett ends up going and hiding in the shower and, (laughs) lets his little brother sit there and wear it while the police yeah had to talk to me and scold me and tell me how bad it is and all that stuff and so after the police left i went down knocked on the door to garrett and sure enough he comes right out of the door bone dry never took his clothes off he just turned the shower on and was sitting in there until the police left. <laughs> but i would like to hear what he said i'm gonna i'm gonna have to i i, I thought about asking him beforehand but i wanted i wanted to hear yours first i'll, I'll text him when we probably get done he probably won't even remember to be honest with you he'll be like oh yeah i don't know i forgot about that but no chance no he no was a, he was a pretty good uh he was a pretty pretty nice older brother he wasn't too mean he was he was a good dude last one everyone gets this one do you have a nightmare bus ride story from the minor leagues yeah so when i actually <laughs> it was a dream and nightmare i guess you could say because i did get called up to triple a um, but it was about one in the morning. We had left Richmond, uh, Virginia at about midnight. Um, and all of a sudden we're pulling over and everyone is kind of like, you, you know, we're not stopping already. We're only an hour into this drive. We had an eight hour drive through the night and 
Next thing you know, I hear my manager say, Wolf, get your stuff, get off the bus. And we're in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, in the middle of the night. And I thought he was kidding. And he said, no, seriously, get your stuff, get off the bus. <laughs> and so sure enough, I did. I got my stuff. He goes, yep, congrats. You're going to AAA. He goes, but yeah, hang out here. Someone's going to come and get you here in a little bit and take you back to Richmond. And so from, yeah, like 1 a.m. until about 2, 2.30 in the morning, I sat at a gas station outside in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, with my two bags <laughs> waiting for our, cl- our clubhouse manager to come pick me up and take me back to Richmond. Oh, my God. And just to catch a flight the next morning at like six in the morning. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the best case scenario, nightmare bus ride. Yeah. Story. I was going to say, it's one of those that's hard to complain about because I was getting to go up, but at the same time, I found myself sitting there at about two in the morning on the, you know, at the side of a gas station. <laughs> just like, this is something else. That that seems like a, like a significant, as someone who used to work in insurance, that seems like significant liability <laughs> yeah. for, for the organization. Just leave an employee yep. sitting on the side of the road. Sam Wolf, that's all I've got for you. Thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. I appreciate it, Kyle. Thanks for having me. You got it. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.